Should be on Augie's line. Check one, two. Check one, two. This is what we do. We just play mix, mix belt packs. Give Andrew just a few seconds and they'll get it all dialed in, all right? Well, good morning, everyone. It's just technology. It's okay. Well, it's good to see everyone. Hope all of you are doing well. Hope all of you joining us online as well. It's just a little bit loud, but uh, they'll get it here. Uh, wasn't that a good video? Yeah, forget Alexa, forget Siri, forget Google, right? Everybody wants a data assistant. $29.99 today on your way out. You can buy one. And if you act right now, we'll throw in a mom assistant as well. All right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, a couple things before we get started. Uh, VBS this week, as you can see, we had the kids up here. We had a great time. I just want to say thank you for all of you who helped participate in Twist and Turns VBS. Y'all were awesome. All right. You did a great job serving the Lord this week and, and investing into the next generation. That's what it's about. So thank you so much. And thank you, congregation, for the rest of you who uh, partnered with us in prayer this week, you guys were all awesome. And let me give you a quick report. We had 60 kids show up, a little short of the 5,000 I was hoping for. We had 60, but 11 kids gave their heart to the Lord this week. So that's good stuff. That's good stuff. So uh, again, thank you for the ministry we had this week. The Lord was really glorified this week. Uh, today's Father's Day, so happy Father's Day. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little bit of fun real quick before we get into the message. Since today's Father's Day, what I would like is if you are a father, a stepfather, a soon-to-be father, an adopted father, or hope to be a father one day, or maybe you're just a man and you want to participate. On the count of three, I want you to go ahead and stand. One, two, three. Men, go ahead. Now, don't say nothing. Don't, don't, don't do anything. Just stand. Okay, now, we're going to do like we did on Mother's Day. We're going to show our appreciation for all these wonderful men that the Lord has given us. So on the count of three, we're going to blow the roof off this place, all right? We're going to show our appreciation. Everybody, ready? Three, two, one. Come on, come on. Woo! All right. Would you, men, would you remain standing, please? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we just thank you so much for your goodness and your grace, the love that you give us, Lord. And we just come before you right now just to say thank you for the blessing that you give each and every one of these men who pursue you, God, to make you first place in their life and also in their home. And Lord, we struggle with that, each and every one of us, but our heart's desire is to follow you. So God, I just pray an extra special prayer on each one of these men that over the course of the next 364 days, that they will remember that their first love is you. And God, that they will lift you up in their homes and show their wives and their kids just how magnificent you are. So God, I just pray for each one of them that they will be the best dads they could possibly be and to keep people like Brad off their daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and be seated, man. Thank you. All right, fixing this microphone still. There's one last piece here. I think I'm good there. All right, so we are concluding our series today, The Imperfect Family, as you can see right there. So go ahead and turn with me in your Bible to the book of Proverbs 24. We're going to start there, and then we will head to the New Testament. 
Proverbs 24, this has been our theme for this series. And uh, if you've missed any of the messages, uh, I want to invite you to head to our YouTube page, FBCFO, or you can listen to any of the messages from our podcast on FBCFO.com. So today we're going to talk about conflict. Doesn't that sound perfect for Father's Day? But we're actually going to talk about the cure for conflict. And I know that conflict is one of those things that so many of us dread. Conflict and confrontation. Boy, those are just yummy, aren't they? We just live for those in our life. No, no, that's not true at all. In fact, we run from them. I believe if we can understand them a little better, where it comes from, how to handle it in a biblical way, we will be far better off. We'll be prepared to show love and grace and still find a way to connect with each other relationally, especially at those times when conflict shows up. So let's do it. So Proverbs 24, starting in verse 3. By the way, have you memorized it yet? No? Okay, let's keep on it then. So Proverbs 24, starting in verse 3, here's what it says. By wisdom, a house is built. Now, we're talking about relationships here, not four walls and a roof, okay? By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And like we said last week, that one of the conclusions that we can glean from these verses is that beautiful relationships are rare in our homes. So consequently, conflict in some capacity is present and maybe a little more with you than with somebody else or maybe a little less with you than somebody else, but needless to say, it's there. As we've talked about how all of us at some point or another have dysfunction in our lives. It's there. And unfortunately, a lot of folks, they don't even recognize the very dysfunction that they have going on. Because see, not everybody throws plates and cups in their houses. I mean, maybe you do. But I don't, so not everybody does that. And, and because we all have dysfunction going on, conflict emerges. Most people, they don't even know how to deal with the very conflict that they have in their house. But one thing is for sure, people will give almost anything, and the list is a mile long, right? They will give almost anything to reduce or eliminate conflict that they experience in life. We absolutely run from it. It's especially true in our homes. So the question becomes, how do we kind of on-ramp into our lives God's wisdom, his understanding, and his knowledge that we see right there in Proverbs 24? How do we do that? How do we get that into our lives to reduce the dysfunction and ultimately reduce the conflict that we have going on relationally in our homes? How do we do that? Well, to start, we have to remember that God gives us his word You're opening it right now. And his word is used in our lives to correct us, to rebuke us, and to train us in righteousness. His word tells us that. He wants us to think like he thinks, and he wants to shape us into the image of Christ Jesus. Congregation, transformation is the purpose of Scripture. Okay? It's the purpose of Scripture. And so in order to change the very dysfunction that we have in our lives, we must bring God's principles into our homes. The very things that we learn from his word. We must be people of the book. Are you with me? Okay. So as I wrote today's message, I started thinking about how, yeah, this isn't going to be one of those messages where everybody just agrees with me. 
This is one of those messages, and I recognize that some of you are going to sit where you're at and probably disagree with me. In fact, some of you may want to throw some tomatoes at me. So I'm going to ask you, don't throw the fruit at me, all right? Just bear with me. I know you might think that sometimes, you know, we're going to call time out and tell me I'm wrong, but my prayer is that you'll just stay with me through the entire message today. Let God speak to you through James, the brother of Jesus. God's going to instruct us on how to address conflict the correct way. So if you would, turn with me in your Bible now to James chapter 4 in the New Testament. James is uh, just uh, after Hebrews, but before the first and second books of Peter. And so while you're finding that, you know, they say pastors and counselors and therapists, all all these wonderful people, they'll tell you that every person has a unique way of handling conflict. We'll say that. If you've ever taken a personality test, there are certain types of behavioral things that, that, uh, that you get tested on, right? And uh, many of these tests, and depends on which one you, you take, though, but they address how we deal with conflict. And each of us tend to address conflict based on our strong suit. And depending on the test you take, right, some people are direct, others are indirect. Some people are lions, some people are otters, right? Some people are a volcano, Some people are a screamer, just depending on what test you take. But ultimately, what I want you to get today is I want you to start thinking about how do you personally handle conflict? So with that in mind, number one in your outline, we all handle conflict differently. There is only one source of conflict, and we're going to see it here in just a second. So I just want you to take that in for a second. We all handle conflict differently but there is only one source of it. And the natural response might be, well, well hold on a second here, Pastor Wayne. <laughs> oh, my source of conflict, sometimes it's my wife, sometimes it's my husband, sometimes it's my kids, sometimes it's my boss, sometimes it's my ex, and all these people, and we just start kind of throwing it out there, and we got all these many sources of conflict. And so we just kind of blame people as those sources. But by the way, That is exactly how the majority of people identify the source of conflict, but that is not what the Bible says, okay? And because people identify these external relationships as the sources of their conflict, that's why so many people never get their conflict resolved, because we're coming at it from the complete wrong position. I've said before that if you only treat the symptoms of relational problems, at best, it's only going to be like putting a Band-Aid on. You have to look at what's going on at a deeper level. Surgery. We have to address the root of the problem in order to resolve the real issue. Otherwise, it's like putting ointment on pain. Does it last? Nope, sure doesn't. It fixes it for a minute, but it's going to return. So we go through these repetitive cycles again and again. Maybe you know somebody where that is their story. So James teaches us right here, chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Here's what he says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now remember, James is speaking to believers, the church, people who love Jesus, much like you. And I'm sure that those very people would probably be answering this very question the same way that you probably would. James what causes fights and quarrels among me is my wife, my husband, my boss, my ex, my kids, and he just, they just would go down the line. But James come back, and he refutes it all. He says this, don't they come from your desires that battle within? 
within who? You. Not them. You. And we don't like hearing that at all. But it's true. My relational conflict comes and it begins with me. And I just got to get honest about that. Right? Sometimes I want things from my kids. I want them to behave. I want them to act. I want them to start. I want them to stop. I want them to pay attention. I want them to clean their room and whatever the case may be. And guess what? They don't do it. So I have conflict inside. And I'm not wrong for needing them to to do the thing that I'm asking them to do. But but if I'm going to address the conflict that I have inside correctly, it is essential that I understand where it's coming from inside. So number two in your outline, your conflicts and your fights come from something that's going on inside of you. It's what Scripture teaches. And the Greek word here for the word desires, okay, that we see in verse 1 is the word idunon. And this is a word that refers to selfish pleasures that we have in this life. In fact, hedonism comes from this word. And it's this desire for us to fulfill all the pleasures of our sinful, selfish desires, right? Our selfishness. It's that part in you that sometimes thinks, yeah, life's all about me. We want the other person to do something, whatever it is, they're not doing it. The result is we're not happy. Can you identify with me, church? And when you understand where this conflict is coming from, that it's coming from inside of you, you're going to be more able to address the conflict in a correct way. So James goes on, verse 2, he says this, you desire, but you do not have. So there it is right there. Which leads us to number three in your outline. The reason you have conflict is because you want something. So back to our example. You want something, you're not getting it, you're not happy, you get a little ticked off. And the pushback is, no, 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 Pastor Wayne, this isn't about a want thing. It's about I deserve it. I mean, they promised to do their part and they didn't. I did my part, and they're not holding up to their end of the bargain. And you know what? And uh, You probably are 1,000% right, and I get that. You want something, whatever it is, you're not getting it, but then James goes on to the second part right here in verse 2, and he says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill and you covet. Now, hopefully... You haven't actually killed anybody. I mean, maybe you have, but hopefully you haven't. But if you think about the people in the world out there who do that sort of thing, you see the stories in the news, and and if you ever talk to a policeman, most of the time what you're going to experience is that the truth from this verse is present in those situations. Biblically, if you think back to the story of Cain and Abel, all right, there's a strong desire, coveting. You don't receive it. And then, kaboom, it happens. Leads us to number four in your outline. Your desire can be so strong. And that desire in you, for them to stop, to do, to to not do, to start, to listen, whatever it is that you're asking, it can be so strong that it leads to wrong words or actions. 
Remember, James here, he's not talking to a bunch of crazy people. He's talking to believers, the church. And he's saying that, hey, that desire is inside of you. And it can be so strong and so raw and so powerful in your life that you're willing to use wrong words and wrong actions. We see this thing play out in Scripture all over the place. And we see it in real life too, don't we? There's that old cliche, maybe you heard it in elementary school, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, I don't know who it was that thought that up, but geez, that person is a liar. You feel me on that, right? Yeah, sticks and stones, they will break my bones, and the good news is my bones will heal. But words, words, words will live with you for the rest of your life. There are sometimes I still feel pain from something somebody said to me when I was nine years old. I think you know what I'm talking about on that. So what's interesting is you may be a thousand percent right in your position. The other person should do what you're asking. But that desire in you is so strong that you're willing to go all in and all out of anger, lower the kaboom, lay down the law, or even do something hurtful to the very people that you love the most. And you know what else? You could win the argument all day long with your loved one, but at the end of the day, you didn't win anything. Happens all the time. And we probably know someone who had a relationship that was damaged or even straight up destroyed because of words that were said or actions that were done. Truth is, that might even be the case for some of you here today. Your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, your sibling, your parent, whatever, destroyed because of that desire. And again, you may be a thousand percent right. You might win the argument, but at the end of the day, you still haven't won anything. Verse two continues. You desire and you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. And then here's the reprise of verse one. You cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now, what if you could on-ramp this idea into your life? Go with me through this. Before the fight, this could be like a goal of yours. What if you could pause long enough before you storm in and lower the kaboom on whoever it is you're talking to, even though you're a thousand percent right, you just take a deep breath and then say this. Hey, before we get started, I just need to be honest with you. I'm not happy. I'm not getting what I want. And then start the conversation. Because if you did that, that will change the trajectory of the entire conversation. That'll change the dynamic completely. And James is saying right here that even though you are a Jesus follower, that desire can be so strong for whatever it is that you want to have done that it leads to wrong words and wrong actions, that your sin nature is so powerful within you that you're willing to quarrel, you're willing to fight, and even possibly harm somebody that you really, really love. Church, are you tracking with me this morning? Number five in your outline. So the question becomes, why aren't your desires fulfilled? 
I want something. I'm not getting it. What's the issue? The overarching principle about conflict is this. Conflict is a spiritual issue. It is not fleshly. Now, we may respond in our flesh, but it is a spiritual issue. The other person in your family, they're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Remember Ephesians 6.12. It's not in your outline, but it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Conflict is spiritual. But when we run into conflict, that is not where our mind goes. We think, man, if she would just start or if he would just stop doing this and if he would come home and blah, 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 then all of our problems are going to go away. And Pastor Wayne, I wouldn't have any more conflict. And James is saying, maybe so. But the real issue is when we go to that spot, we're not approaching conflict from a spiritual standpoint. We're approaching it from our flesh because we're trying to somehow change the other person's heart. And beloved, listen to me. We cannot change anybody else's heart. Not possible. It doesn't work. We've already tried it, haven't we? We've already tried it. (laughs) Or, Or am I the only one who's done that, right? No. So James gives us here in chapter four, Three realities about why we're not receiving what we want. The first one is this. You don't pray. You don't pray. James says right here in chapter 4, verse 2, you don't have because you don't ask God. And if we're real honest about the conflicts in our relationships, especially those ones, you know, when when you know what's going to happen, that when you walk in the door after a long day at work or wherever, there's going to be conflict on the other side of the front door. The last thing on most people's mind is asking God for direction, at least those of us like me with imperfect families. Because here's the thing. You've probably already thought through your position on the issue, and you've probably already thought through the other person's response and their position, and then, because you're really intelligent, you've also thought through the, the response that they're going to give you. And so you have a, a counter argument to that. And so you're ready to go back with the second layer. And then you've also thought through their potential responses of that and how they came back. So you're three levels deep. You're smart. I got it. But the question really is, was prayer really a part of that? And the answer is, probably not. And so James says, folks, You do not have because you do not ask God. And for those of you that are wanting to throw a tomato at me right now and maybe pushing back, saying, yes, I do, Pastor, I pray. Okay, all right. Well, then for you, maybe it could be the next idea. You have selfish motives. Plenty of believers out there praying for things they want, yet they never get them. Well, what's the issue? Motive. Look what James says in verse 3. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motive. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Lord, my husband needs to change. Lord, my wife needs to change. Lord, my kids need to change. Lord, my sibling needs to change. 
We've prayed these prayers. And we just have to see that when you pray these kinds of prayers, this is a motive issue. You're asking God to change them for whose benefit? Yours. You're asking God to change them for your benefit. Now, why do we do that? Because we don't like what's going on, and you're wanting them to change. So the real issue is your heart. It's about your motive. And Scripture is saying that those motives are selfish. We want them to change to benefit us. And so the pushback often here is like, Pastor, I just want them to change so that they can be a better person and love Jesus more. Listen, I get all that. And potentially there should be some truth there. But that's not the real root issue. So my encouragement to you this week, if that's where you're at, is to think through your motive. Are you genuinely asking God with the correct motive? Who's really the primary beneficiary here? Is it you? Or is it God and his kingdom? Something to think about. The third reality, according to James, is also connected to this. And this is that uh, you have a conflict with God because of your pride. Is this really true? It is. Look at verse 4 with me. He says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Is that the place you want to be, congregation? I didn't think so. Verse 5. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he is jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? So James is talking about this conflict that we have with God, and it's due to our pride. When our response is, no, 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 Pastor Wayne, I just want them to start doing this or stop doing that or to do this thing over here. James is saying that is exactly the point. This is a spiritual issue. You're not seeing your pride out in front here. You're thinking the world's way. You want the other person to do what you want them to do, to ultimately benefit you. Don't do that, he says. Now, when you can see that reality, the issue at hand is that we have a self-centered position. Now, if you go two steps back with me real quick, I'm guessing that hardly anyone, if anybody at all, thinks about conflict through this lens. The reason why is it's not in our human nature to do that, because we are all, whether we admit it or not, congregation, we're all selfish. We all want things to go our way, and we want people to do the things we want them to do. Amen? That's how we're wired. Now, in our mind, we think, if I can get them to do this, if I can get them to comply with what I want done, the conflict's going to be all resolved. That's what we do. But that's not how it works because conflict is a spiritual issue. It's not fleshly. And the truth is, is our conflict that we have going on inside, it's only going to be resolved the way that, uh, it can only be resolved the way when we do things God's way. It's not going to be resolved the way our minds want it to be resolved, which is what we all want. Let me be the first to tell you, 
It's not going to happen. Okay? Conflict is spiritual, so we must look at it through the spiritual lens, which leads me to verse 6. If you actually want conflict to be cured, the cure for conflict is humility. Okay? This is why you all came today to hear this point right here. The cure for conflict is humility. Now, just imagine walking in to the conversation with your loved one, and you're saying, hey, before we get started, just being honest with you, I've got a little problem. I'm not happy. I'm not getting what I want. And James says, be humble. Now, humility, congregation, humility is not a weakness. Humility doesn't mean you're the doormat either. It's not where you have to give in all the time and let other people walk all over you. That's not biblical humility. Hear me, you are not a doormat. You are God's child, worthy of respect. And James understands that. And here's what he writes in verse 6. He says, but the Lord, he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes. Who does he oppose? The proud. Okay, pause for a second. Do you know what it's like to live in opposition of God? Maybe you've experienced that. It's not a good place. Who can move the hearts of people? God can. Whose team do you want to be on? God's team. At least I do. And so if you want the heart of the other person to actually change what Scripture says is God opposes the proud. And we're called as believers to not be self-centered, but to be Christ-centered, right? And so Scripture goes on to say right here in this verse that God shows favor to the humble. Humility. That is how hearts and lives are changed. That's how relationships are restored, brothers and sisters, okay? So when we get our lives into alignment with God, he gives us his favor. When we're full of pride and when we're out of alignment with God, it's not so good. Do you see this? Our heart is the issue here. So you want to be a humble person. So let's read on verse 7. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James gives us four things right here in these verses between 7 and 10 to help us get to that place of humility because I know we all desire to be there. We truly want our relationships to be better. So letter A in your outline, give in to God. Verse seven says, submit yourselves then to God. That's what it says. The Greek word for submit there is ipotagate. And this word means to rank under. Now, not people, but God, to get under God and his authority. And when we do this and we position ourselves under the Lord, we walk under his covering. That's where you want to be, beloved. And when you step outside of the covering of God, whoo, look out. If you know from experience, that is not the place you want to be. 
because you're walking in the flesh. And James tells us, don't do that. Submit to God because peace with God on the inside is necessary before you'll truly have peace on the outside. So submit to God. That is the starting spot. The second thing James wants us to do is letter B is get wise to Satan. Verse 7 goes on and says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now that term resist is a military term used to communicate to the troops to be prepared to withstand an attack from the outside. And the Lord, he is a God of unity. He's called us to be peacemakers and to live at peace with each other. But who's the one who's interested in confusion, chaos, destruction, and conflict? Who is that? Satan is. So we just have to get wise to that. And since we know that conflict is a spiritual issue, let me encourage you. Don't see your spouse and your kids and whoever else lives in your house as the enemy. They're not. Satan is. The Bible says that Satan's job is to still kill and destroy. And guess what, my friends? He's going to seek, kill, and destroy everything that is important to you. Everything. And he will stop at nothing to do that. So we have to get wise to his tactics. We have to understand his game plan. He's going to play on your pride to destroy your relationships. Remember, you can win the argument, but at the end of the day, you still never win anything. Submit to God. Get wise to Satan. Let her see in your outline. Grow closer to God. I just want to encourage you to grow closer with God. Verse 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. So how do you actually do this? You develop spiritual habits. How's your, uh, how's your Bible reading going? How's your prayer time? Are you praying with the right motives? How's your meditation? Are you coming to worship regularly? Do you have accountability partner? All these types of things, spiritual habits. Are they a habit? Earlier in this series, we said God is number one, spouse number two, kids number three. And if we say that God is number one in our, out, uh, in our life and our schedule doesn't reflect that, then we need to change what's going on on the inside, right? We need to change our schedule to reflect what's going on in our life. If we want our relationship with God to be number one, let's elevate him to the appropriate place. If you want to go closer to God, start doing the things of God. Submit to God. Get wise to Satan. Grow closer to God. Lastly, letter D. Ask God for forgiveness. Verse 8 goes on to say, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In this text right here, your hands represents your conduct. And so he's saying here, we need to watch our conduct. And this is, this is really important because studies tell us that the majority of communication between people is actually nonverbal. We've got to be mindful of that. Sometimes it's not what you say at all. It's the way you carry yourself. So when James says to purify your heart in this verse, your heart refers to your attitude. We have to check our attitude. We have to make sure that it's God-honoring and it's correct. And if our conduct and our attitude is out of alignment with God, 
we need to seek God and ask him for forgiveness. Verse 10 goes on to say, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That's it, my friends, right there. A humble heart before God. That is how he moves in your life. Humility, my friends, that is the cure for conflict in your life. Because we have conflict all the time. So humility is what we need to be going after. Conflict is a spiritual issue. Are you with me on that? Conflict is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual battle that we experience, and our enemy wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our relationships with our family members. But God, he wants to unite us. So the question becomes, whose team do you want to be part of? Friends, your family, they're not the enemy. They're not going to be perfect. They may be perfect some of the time, but not 100% of the time. You know what? That's okay. Because we're all imperfect. The cure for conflict is a humble heart. And so as we close this series out, something I just want you to remember. Our good God, he is the definition of love. The Bible says God is love. And love is patient. That means God is going to be patient with you and he's going to be patient with your mistakes that you make. He gives you grace when you do not deserve it. He shows mercy on you when you mess up and you don't deserve it. He doesn't give you the kaboom even though you do deserve it. So I just want to encourage you today as we close. Go on. Lavish that grace out to your family. Lavish that mercy and that love outward to them. They're imperfect, but you love them. You love your family members. Love them the same way that God loves you. And when you do that with humility, you will move forward and you will grow in faith and hope and love. I'm going to ask you to stand and pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the grace in our life, for for your goodness, for your mercy. God, we just want you to do your amazing work in this place today. God, for you to be present, for you to be in our lives today. And some of us here, we don't know you, God, but we sure would like to. And so, Father, as you're doing your miraculous work in our homes, and we want humility of the God that comes from you, Father, it is my prayer right now that you just speak to hearts in this place. May we know your presence. Lord, if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know you, God, would you just touch their heart now? Congregation, if you're sensing the presence of the Lord, touch your heart because you don't know him. I just want to speak to you for a second. The Bible says that God has loved you with an everlasting love. 
Because of your sin, Jesus came to this planet to be the sacrifice that you could not be for yourself. And the Bible says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of our sin is death, and but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. But if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. And so if you have never asked Jesus into your heart, I just want to encourage you now in the presence of, of God and in the silence of your heart to say, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again. So Father, I invite you to come live in my heart from this day forward. Help me to be your child the best way I know how to be. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Congregation, let's fill our hearts with the Lord's presence today. Let's sing. Let's worship.